God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Chris Haruska. What's marked your vertical relationship with the Father this week? What's, what's been your prayer life like? What, what words have you spoken to God or not spoken to God? What have you thought about God? What have you not thought about God? Um, what's the conversation been marked with? And I, I ask that because there's a couple different places we could go. One is, I think because we live in a fallen, broken world and we're still, uh, we have sin in our life. And one of the places that we're going to drift is a posture of apathy. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship and it can kind of grow cold. Like you're texting that friend all the time and then you stop texting and you're like, I haven't texted him in months. And that can happen in your relationship with God. We can just naturally drift to a posture where we're not communicating with God. We're not thanking God. We're not rejoicing in God. It's just apathetic. It's just silence. Maybe the last time you thought about God was last Sunday. That can happen. Maybe I'm the only one. Okay, so others, maybe you guys are not just apathetic and quiet. You're just actively grumbling. Have you ever read through your Old Testament? It seems like the people who knew God the most complained the most. Uh, they are the, the quickest to say, I deserve more. It shouldn't go this way. It should be better than this. This is not what I signed up for. I thought you were good. And they grumble. This week, it was fun for me to walk through this passage. But as always, the first person that you know, God's word cuts is me. Uh, it, I, I come to this text and I'm like, what does it mean? And how am I going to communicate it? And all the while I'm sitting down and the Lord is just like, this is for you. You can smile, Chris, but oftentimes the posture of your heart, you're, so, you're quick to grumble. You're quick to grow apathetic. You're slow to praise me for the benefits that God has laid out. And I just want to confess to the church, I can grow numb to God's beauty, grace, generosity, and faithfulness. And then I can withhold praise from my lips. And um, I don't know, maybe you're there. But if you are, I want to invite you today maybe to confess and even repent. Psalm 103. Here's what it says, all right? Here's, here's how the scriptures would call us as the people of God to respond vertically to a good God, okay? It says this in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Who's ever looked at their life and felt like you've driven your life into a pit? Whatever it is, whatever your pit is, I've driven my life there. Look what he says. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. What a beautiful word. What this man is doing, he's saying, nobody else is going to call my heart to worship. I might not have a pastor in my life or somebody else to call me into this. I got to call my own heart into worshiping God. My heart is growing apathetic. I'm grumbling. Bless the Lord. And I love what he says. Don't forget, one of the reasons that we grow numb to the things of God is we're so quick to forget his faithfulness, so quick to forget the story he's written in our lives. And then he just takes inventory of all the things that God has done for him. God, I was guilty and you forgave me. God, I was hungry and you fed me. God, I was sick and you healed me. God, I had been in a place of ashes and you've restored me and taken me out of that place. You've satisfied me with good. I wonder church, all of us are searching to be satisfied with good. And our longings to be satisfied with good will take you to some website, to some toxic relationship, to some outlet in your life. There is nothing on this side of eternity that can satisfy your weary heart like the presence and the power of our God. Come on now. 
So I love this. This is the Old Testament. The psalmist is calling, saying, forget not, bless his holy name. Then you get to the New Testament, Paul, this man who's very, very familiar with trials and hard circumstances in jail. And uh, he was bitten by a snake. I mean, this brother has walked through some hard times and you would think he's just gonna grumble on his way into glory. No, 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 no. Look what he calls the church to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For a while, I did college ministry, and it felt like most of my meetings were, what's God's will for my life? Uh, Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move to this city? And I love that the scripture so clearly lays out God's will. What is God's will for your week right now, church, that you would give thanks? That we would rejoice, that we would praise God. Now, some of you guys are like, but, but... Did you also know maybe one of the most confronting things of this passage is he says, give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know about you, but one of my excuses for not praising God is, God, I will praise you and I will thank you and I will stop grumbling and I will worship you and I will celebrate you and I will dance in my living room for your glory, okay? When you fill in the blank. Does anybody else believe that? There's a time to praise God and it ain't today, Lord. Mm -mm. God, I'm single. I don't want to be single. I want to be married. And so when I get to my boo thing and when you provide that spouse, right? God, I'm bald and I don't want to be bald. So when you give me my hair back, right? nobody else, bald brothers unite. Okay. So do, do we not do this though? God, God, I'm so tired of being so busy. Lord, when you give me space to rest, then I'll praise your name. God, I, I, financially, I'm not where I wanted to be then. Once I get a little more security and the economy turns around and I feel a little bit more secure. God, I'm really not a fan of this political party that's in power. When I get my guy back in, then I'll praise your name. We do this all the time. We fill in the blank with God. When, you're, when you do this thing, then I'll celebrate. But this is the God that we worship. We worship a good God who's unchanging in our circumstances. And we know that even when your life is hard, even when your life is messy, what we hold to in scripture is that God is even working all of those messy things, all of those hard things, all of those uncertain things, even together for our good. He's not wasting the pain. We worship a God who is faithful. We worship a God who never leaves or forsakes his people, amen? So so even in the midst of maybe what you're saying is a trial and a storm, and by the way, I know there's folks in the room that have that, and there's moments in scripture that call us to to actually be in a place of uh, uh, mourning and weeping and lamenting the hard circumstances, but they end with a but God. But God is powerful, but God is faithful, but God is gonna use it to refine me and shape me and make me more holy like him. So even in the midst of that, we can say, God, I don't understand what you're doing here, but I understand who you are and I know you're good and you're faithful. And so my lips will praise you, even in these circumstances. So I love this. Now, I don't know about you, but I gotta acknowledge, sometimes I don't do this and I gotta ask the question why we don't do this. And I think sin has this deadening effect on our hearts. It it, it leaves us in a place of wanting to naturally drift towards pride and apathy and a praiseless version of Christianity. We start to maybe become um, numb to our own brokenness, numb to God's beauty, and and we stop to give thanks. And what I know for the church is it's really easy to come in here and to take some notes and observe some worship and listen to some music. And maybe you think you checked the box this week because you came in here and you observed a religious gathering and a ritual and you were a part of it, but you didn't participate and, and, and I know it's easy for us to come in here for one hour a week and act like we're excited about God and then go the rest of the week and we compare ourselves to other people and we envy and we grumble and we get frustrated and we kind of drift towards this godless, praiseless version of Christianity. And I don't want that for our church. 
And what I love is that this warning, it can happen to God's people. In Romans chapter 1, Paul again gives a warning to the church. He says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So what happened with the Jewish people is that they were very familiar with God. They understood that he makes promises and he keeps promises. They understood that he's faithful and he gave them a land and he gave them his word and he gave them himself. They knew God. But what was one thing that that Paul calls out? He said they knew God, but they didn't honor him. They didn't give him thanks. They didn't praise him. They didn't worship him. One of the things that happened in my study is I started to uh, just kind of trace this line all the way through. And Paul, later on, when he talks about the end of times, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in this world when people forsake God? And we all know this long list of sins. And there's all these things that happen, right? They reject God's word. They trade it for unsound doctrine. They kind of want to hear what they want to hear. But one of them is that they stop thanking God. There's a lack of gratitude among God's people. So it's, so it's very possible to know a lot about God, but not thank God for who he is or what he's done. In City Light Church, I don't want that for us. I don't know if you have any friends that every time you get around them, there's a reason to grumble and complain. Have you ever been around them? How, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not well. What happened? Oh my gosh, the Wi-Fi has been down in my apartment for three days. I cannot handle it. <laughs> trials, real trials, guys. We got to pray for the Lord to restore the fortunes of the Wi-Fi, okay? So, uh, but here's one observation I've made about humanity. As if you get around older people, uh, I'm 40, so you could put me in that camp. Some of you guys are like, you're one of the older people, okay? Uh, but there's people that I consider older than me. We'll call them senior saints. There's really two places that, that we go. I don't think you end up more neutral. I think you end up more bitter or more sweet. And I think how you walk through this fallen, broken world, are you going to be a, a person who looks at all of the sparing things, that good is called evil and evil is called good in our world, and you can, and you can despair, and you can live in a, a solid diet of all I'm looking at is the headlines and the news and the brokenness and this generation, or you can look at our faithful God, and you know that he wins. And you will either lead yourself to despair and frustration and bitterness and anger and grumbling and anxiety, or the spirit of the living God will help you to see who God is, that he's faithful and he's loving and he's kind and he wins in the end. And you will rejoice and you'll be grateful for his mercy on your life. We either become bitter or sweet as we age, amen? I want us to be a church in a world where it's really easy to get outraged and be angry, to feel entitled to more, to be frustrated. Do you want to know what would be a tremendous witness to the watching world? A church that's grateful for the mercies of God. One who has peace because they know the character of our God. One who has joy because they know that our God starts and finishes everything. Amen? I think that would stand out. So how do we get there? Well, this text is going to show us, all right? I got three things I want to share with us as we walk through this text about God-centered gratitude. The first is this. God-centered gratitude starts with an understanding, with understanding your need for his mercy. We got to understand our condition. Guys, if God gives us anything, we don't deserve anything but the wrath of God and the punishment of God and the condemnation of God, but we get so much more than that, okay? So what the Bible's going to do is like, we don't just skip into gratitude. We don't just skip into joy. Like everybody be thankful today. What happens is we get there by recognizing our neediness. So I want to show you this in verse 11. It says this, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lift up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So here we get the setting and the characters. Luke's introducing us to these people. And, and what he's not really worried about is the exact location. He doesn't give us the exact geography of where these folks are, but he's, he's rather tying this narrative into Jesus's long walk and trip from uh, Galilee down to Jerusalem. So he's still on that journey. Since Luke chapter nine, Jesus said he set his face towards Jerusalem. So he's been walking with the disciples. He's been preaching. He's been performing miracles. And he's been walking as a faithful lamb, knowing what's before him is death. 
death on a cross for our sins in our place. That's where he's going. And as he's walking, he encounters these 10 lepers. And these men are physically sick. They are social outcasts. And without some divine intervention, they're going to spend the rest of their lives on the outside of society looking in. They're going to live in a camp that's filled with sick and the shunned and the misfits of their society. That is their lot in life. And the problem is these men have been diagnosed with leprosy which is a blanket diagnosis for various skin diseases. And some commentary, commentary, uh, commentaries this week uh, let me know that there were 72 different kind of skin disorders that could kind of fall into this camp. And so what I've done is uh, alphabetize them from A to Z. And so I'll just read them all. I want you guys to be biblically informed just to just make sure you know. I'm di- just joking. Don't worry. That would be very awkward and very weird. Okay. But what you need to know about this disease is that some were contagious, some weren't, but most of these diseases left uh, its victims disfigured in some way, okay? So there's boils and hard skin and rashes, and it, it was not a pretty sight. But uh, outside of the physical realities, there was all kinds of social and spiritual implications to this diagnosis, all right? So they were seen as unclean. And if you've read your old Bible, Old Testament Bible, that, that's a big deal, okay? If you're walking through our Bible reading plan in Leviticus, there's a whole couple chapters just talking about how do we deal with people with leprosy? Uh, what is the priest supposed to do? How are we supposed to organize society, right? There's all these instructions, and they were labeled unclean. They had to live outside of the city, isolated from family members, unable to go into the city for work and worship. And when people approached them, they were required by law to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people could avoid them. These are the kind of people that most people would see and choose to move away from. They've lost status, relationships, dignity, friendship, and health. Uh, One commentary said that that really what was required is people to treat them like a living corpse, okay? Old Testament law, you're not supposed to touch corpses, but they were literally at that same level. But here's the thing. They have hope. They've heard about this Jesus. They've heard about his power to heal the sick. And so as he approaches, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what I love about these men and what's really worth imitating is they understand their condition before God. There's no deception. They don't think that they're good or polished or well. They understand they're sick and they're broken and they're needy. They understand that no doctor has healed them. No religious leader has been able to restore them. No medicine man has been able to reverse their lot. They've tried yoga, Pilates, essential oils, eating organic. It's a joke. Never mind. You guys didn't get it. This is all of our attempts to stay healthy in this world. I don't know. Just put some uh, lavender on it, okay? Here's what they need. They know they need God's mercy, all right? They know they need God's mercy. And so it's easy to read this and think, man, that's really unfortunate for these guys. They're in a really horrible spot. Their lot is really unfortunate. Maybe they did something dumb to deserve it. Maybe they got there because they uh, hung out with the wrong people and didn't make the right choices. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, praise be to God, I I don't have any of these diseases. And I, I got a warm bed and friends, and I don't have to live like this, and this isn't my lot in life. But one of the ways that we have to read our Bibles is ask ourselves, what character am I in this story? Let me just help you understand, you're not Jesus walking around healing people. So that would mean that you are where? You're these guys. Now, how does the Bible help us get here to see that we are the needy ones, even though we might not be physically sick in this exact moment? Well, he says, even if you haven't been diagnosed with leprosy, which you have been declared and diagnosed as sinful. And that means a couple things. By the way, we, we are in this room. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sin in a million ways, and uh, it's not a light thing. Like, if you actually study the, the scriptures, like, uh, it's not a minimized thing. Like, this actually leaves us disconnected from a holy God. This leaves us just like these lepers were outside of a camp, separated from God, separated from people, right? And we are in a lot, Scripture would say, that we can't reserve a reverse on our own. 
like no, no amount of a church attendance and, oh, I'm gonna get sober and I'm gonna be nicer to my spouse and I'll be a better mom or dad than my kids were. Like that doesn't solve this problem of this disconnect between a holy God and an unholy people. Like he's clean, we are unclean. And our little subtle attempts to try to climb our ladder up to God through rituals and religion, that doesn't work. What the church needs is mercy. We need grace, we need healing, we need God to restore. That's where we need. So what this text is doing is is the pathway to gratitude. It's not just thinking nice things about God or just telling your lips to be happy and say nice things and try to say thank you. That's not it. It's actually see the massive debt that has been paid to see our starting point in scripture, that we were in the pit, that we were in ashes, that we were dead and needed to be made alive. We didn't just need a little coaching. God's not just cheerleading you. We need it to be rescued. That's the way that you get thankful. So the bad news is this text diagnoses us, but the great news of this text is that we see how God can deliver us. The second thing is I wanna show you is God-centered gratitude is cultivated by receiving undeserved mercy. Let me show you this text, verse 14. And we saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, uh, this moment, this week when I was reading this, um, verse 14, the first few words, when he saw them, he said to them, stop me in my tracks. Now, I think what Luke was trying to do is he's just trying to describe this interaction that Jesus had with these men. But what stopped me in my tracks is to think about all of the times in my life that I've wanted to be seen by a someone. And what's so interesting is all of us oftentimes have a desire to be seen by that someone we think a lot of. And you know what we've done? We come up with all of these strategies to be seen. If I'm the prettiest, if I'm the smartest, if I'm the funniest, if I'm the most polished, then they'll look my way. And we do the same game with a holy God. If God sees me at my best, sees my resume, sees my sobriety, sees what I've done, sees what I bring to the table, sees me smile, sees me trying in my marriage, then God will look at my way and speak. What I love about these men is they are not at their best. Friends, their skin is peeling. They got boils and rashes. They are in tatters. They have no money. They are beggars on the outside of camp and God doesn't look a different way. He is the someone who looks at no ones. Praise be to God. That's the God we worship. And that's my story. God didn't look at me when I started preaching and planting churches. God looked at me when I came to him with a sexual addiction and brokenness and shame and hurt. And I was the one that you should have tried to stay away from. God didn't stay away from me. Praise be to God. God looks at unclean people. He doesn't say, you're the problem. You're not worth my time. You're too unclean. No, he moves towards people who need mercy. God sees you, church, not just when you're at your best, when you're at your worst. And I'm hoping what's gonna happen in your heart is you're gonna believe me today. And you're gonna stop hiding in your relationship with God. What if we stopped trying to perform and show God our best, but in your own prayer life, what if you told him about that thing that is dirty and broken and stained? What if we had that vulnerability before a holy God to say, see me as I am. I'm taking these band-aids off. You can see the wounds. Would that not change us to experience God in a new way? So it stopped me in my tracks. I don't think that's the theological meaning, but I'm just telling you what it is. All right. So here it is. He saw these men. And then what he does is he heals them in a moment, right? They come to him with some level of faith that Jesus can heal them of their sickness. So they go to Jesus. They ask for help. And what Jesus does is he gives them immediate instructions. Now, he could have healed them right on the spot. He's already done that in Luke chapter 5. He could have touched them and healed them and restored them. But instead, he says, guys, you go show yourself to the priest. Now, why was that instruction so important? Well, the priests were the only people in society that could evaluate these men and declare them moved from unclean to clean. 
okay? And so he's instructing them to go and talk to the, the priest so they can get their whole lives back. But this required something. This required faith. This required obedience. This required that they believed Jesus at his word, that they believed that he could heal even though he's not going to touch them. Because at the end of the day, these guys asked Jesus for help. They're still sick. And he says, go start walking and show the priest that you'll be healed. And they have to turn around and take a really long walk into Jerusalem, hoping that at some point they're going to actually be healed. What was interesting about this is God brought to mind the verse that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian any amount of time, God will ask you to do things that will make absolutely no sense. That doesn't mean that we're crazy people, but that does mean that God will invite you and give you instructions to do things that you, when you're running the numbers, it just doesn't add up. Does it make any sense? God invited me to plant a church. Guys, it was the middle of a recession with a, my friend Gavin, who's from Waverly. He likes country music. I can't stand it. I didn't understand the ways of the Lord. 10 years later, I would say, yeah, that was a good idea, God. Thank you for that, you know? So all that to say is God's gonna ask you to do things sometimes that you don't understand. These men start to take a step of faith and God heals them in a massive way along the way. And I just wanna ask you to put yourself in this story. I wonder if you could imagine looking down and your fingers that have been eaten away have actually grown back. And your friends and their faces that were once disfigured have been restored, hard skin is made healthy and soft. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's a beautiful moment. The unclean has been made clean. And, and he's not just physically healing these people, but he's giving them their full lives back. They can go home and see their families. They can worship again in the temple. Like all things are being restored. But this is more than just a miracle worker Jesus. This is pointing to a Jesus that is the promised Messiah. One of the things that in my study that came to is like one of the evidences that the king of all kings is here on earth incarnating is that he would actually heal lepers. That was actually in the Old Testament prophesied. When John the Baptist came to Jesus and he sent a messenger, he was in, in jail and he was about to be executed. He said, hey, I, I'm okay dying, but like I really want to make sure that you're like the, the one the Old Testament is promising because I'm willing to die for God, but I'm not willing to die if you're just like another miracle worker or whatever. So just let me know if I'm going all in on this. And so Jesus sends word. He says this in the scripture. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed. What Jesus is telling John, what he's telling churches, this is not just a healer. This is not just a miracle worker. This is the promised king and he's ushering in his kingdom. And by the way, all throughout the New Testament, when Jesus steps into town, things get better, y'all. Demons get cast out. Sick people get healed. Lies that people have been believing he speaks truth over them. Bullies get stood up to, and he protects the innocent and the vulnerable. And by the way, this King Jesus is coming back. This little text is a preview of what he's going to come do, what, do when he actually comes back here on earth as a king. And he ushers us in the kingdom once and for all. Sickness will be no more. Death will be no more. Evil will be no more. This is where all of human history is headed, church. So I hope that you see Jesus here. He's not standoffish. He's not weak. He's not the person who looks the other way. He moves towards the messy. He shows mercy. He's able to heal. He's one with all power. And yet he is tender with these men who desperately have a need that they cannot uh, meet on their own. I don't wonder, churches, this is personal to you. Like, have you put yourself in this story and seen yourself as the beggar on the side of the road saying, Jesus, have mercy on me? I think that changes our affection for God. When mercy isn't just for somebody out there that we know who really made a mess of their life and they've had a hard go of it, but mercy is for you. Mercy is for you. Would we believe that? Would we receive that? And by the way, this is not a one-time thing. If you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. When I, was seven, when I was 12 or 17 or 21, when I was in college, oh, God met me in mercy. No, guys, I need mercy this week, y'all. Anybody else? 
Thank you for the hands up. I need mercy. This is not a one-time thing. God, I need mercy today because, oh my goodness, I'm so good at grumbling. Can I confess to you how good I am at grumbling? Like if grumbling was an Olympic sport, I would be winning golds all day. Is anybody else baffled by your own heart? Like what I'm saying is like when I look at my calendar, I have two responses. The calendar's full. Oh my gosh, there's not even time for a 15-minute break today. I'm gonna wake up and there's meetings. I'm gonna come home and there's a practice. And after practice, there's toys that gotta be picked up and I better sing some songs because I gotta be a Christian with my kids at night. And the playoffs are on, but my wife's going to want to talk. And that's going to be a moment. It's going to be a real moment right there. Because she's better. She's right here. She's better. But I'm just saying, I have to choose to not do the playoff thing. Okay? Have you had that? And you start to grumble about all the things on your day. Oh, my gosh, there's so many things on my day. Right? Do you do that? And then if you're like me, you can also look at your calendar and be like, oh, my gosh, there's only one thing on my calendar today. There's no one to talk to. There's nothing to do. What am I going to do with nine hours? I am threatened by boredom. I don't even know what I'm going to watch today. It's cold out. I can't even walk outside. I don't know, Lord, what, why have you not used my life, Lord? Right? You're putting me on the sideline again, you know? Right? So regardless of my circumstances, I can find some reason to be mildly unhappy. Uh, It's amazing. So we need mercy. Amen? We need mercy. Uh, Okay. That wasn't in my notes. Just be blessed by that. All right. Number three, God-centered gratitude will move your lips and, ch- and change you. Move your lips and change you. Here's, here's how this story ends. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw uh, that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So the 10 were healed. This one man realizes that Jesus healed him and he could have kept walking, right? His choice is to go show himself to the priest and then he can go home and he can be at mom's table by dinner and he can kind of be able to go to the, uh, see his old friends and go back to the temple and like his whole life is gonna come back. And so in many ways, the other nine were very motivated just to get back to town, to go see the priest, to go back to their families, to get some level of normalcy and dignity back. But this one man realized, wait a sec, if my whole lot in life has been changed by one person's display of mercy, I, I need to go back and say thank you. And so he turned back. And when he gets back, it's a beautiful picture of right-centered worship. He does two things. He gets low before God, his physical posture before Jesus changes, and he gets loud. I love this. Praising God with a loud voice. Now, this is interesting to me because he's in a humble posture, but he's loudly proclaiming uh, how God is good to him and how God has been gracious to him. What's amazing about this story is he's modeling worship and, and biblically something that's happening here is um, he's a Samaritan. So why is that little note in there? Why do we get his ethnicity in here, right? Why, why is that little note, that little detail included in scripture? Well, what's interesting is that, that, that he's speaking this, right? And the Jewish people were God's covenant people. They were his chosen people. He had a long history with them. And the Samaritans historically were these people who actually compromised God's word. God said, hey, don't do this whole international marriage thing because it's gonna mess things up. And instead they did, okay? So there's this Jews and Gentiles and they intermarried and they created this whole new ethnicity called the Samaritans. And so Jews looked down on them because uh, up the, the family tree, there was somebody that disobeyed God's instructions. And so really no one claims them. They had been settled in their own land and their own camp and they had to come up with their own worship thing. And like, it was a whole story. And what Jesus has been doing is he just recently told a story in Luke about the good Samaritan, right? The priest walks by this guy who needs mercy on the side of the road, the Jewish guy walks by, the religious leader walks by, the Samaritan, they all walk by, but the Samaritan is the one who stopped to love his neighbor. He's modeling. 
And, and then here Jesus is saying, it's this one who's worshiping rightly. He's a Samaritan. Now, what does that mean? Why is that detail in there? I think it's because Jesus is trying to communicate that this gospel, this Jesus is not just for one kind of person. This Jesus is for all, for the far off, for the outcast, for the nations, for you and for me. It doesn't matter where you started. This gospel is for you. Would you see and respond rightly? But Jesus responds to this one that has come back and Jesus answered, he said, we're not the 10 cleansed. We're not the nine. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So there's that hint again, the foreigner. And he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus sees the one at his feet. He sees that only one has come back. He recognized that he's a foreigner. And he says, where's the other nine? What happened to the other nine? What, why is there a, a, a lack of gratitude among the other nine? You're the only one that got it right. And again, it's so easy to put yourself above these other nine. Be like, man, I'm the one who worships rightly. I'm glad I'm here today. All right. But I don't know about you, but like, I, I need to be cut. I am the other nine more times than I am the one. I am. The bigger thing is not just to thank God for the good gifts. That, that could be a self-help whole thing. I think we thank God for the blesser. We thank God for the gift giver. We chase it upstream and say, God, even if my circumstances are hard, at the end of the day, your character is unchanging. You're a good and faithful God. And so on this day, I will choose to praise you. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Chris Haruska of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.